Welcome back for episode three of What's Good, a podcast about positive global news. My name is Emily. And I'm Abby. Welcome to this special edition of our pod. Um, so this week, our topic is positive immigrant news, and we're doing something a little different, shaking things up a little bit. So I've been very excited to share this story with you. With so much visibility on immigration and particularly illegal immigration, my interest was piqued as someone who reports on political issues. So over spring break, I took the opportunity to go to Canada and Vermont to report on a special edition of this podcast. Before I start, I want to take the opportunity to thank our scholars program, uh, the Cutler Scholars Program here at OU, for providing me with an exploration grant to purchase audio equipment and software, as well as funding my reporting trek. So let's roll that segment now. Vermont dairy farms are teeming with sounds of life. Cows mooing, milk splattering in the metal pails, and shouts of Spanish across the barn. The latter is indicative of a massive trend. 51% of the dairy industry's workforce is made up of immigration labor. A majority of that labor are illegal immigrants from Central America. And as President Donald Trump's deportation threats and crackdown on immigration escalate, fear on the farm is high. Immigration from America to Canada soared over the past few years, so the border is more heavily guarded than ever. I wanted to take a look about how living along the northern border affects the daily lives of dairy workers. No one could have guessed how many immigrants are in Vermont, a quiet northeastern state that could be missed in the blink of an eye on a road trip. But the state is home to a massive dairy industry that appeals to any manual laborer because there is no off-season. The Vermont dairy industry relies on about 1,500 undocumented workers to milk cows. Those immigrants live along a border with constant fears of being deported. Well, I organize with the community who lives along the border, uh, and I, I visit a lot of farms that are right there along the borderline. Uh, and uh, it's a community that uh, lives under a lot of fear, as Marita was saying. Uh, even though this right to a license exists, a lot of people uh, don't dare to go out, even if it's to the store. That's Zoe Palacios, an undocumented immigrant who is a community leader in migrant justice, translated by Will Lambeck. Migrant Justice is a Vermont social activist nonprofit working for immigrant rights in the state. Migrant Justice is particularly unique because it was founded and is run by immigrants. The organization works on legislation and other initiatives in support of immigrant laborers. Since many are undocumented, they're willing to do whatever it takes to get food on the table and are easily exploited, working grueling hours without days off or proper living conditions. And so for many people who work near the border, uh, even with the anti-discrimination laws that we've passed, there's still a really high danger. So before leaving your house, you have to look around to make sure that there's not a patrol around. Or sometimes if you have to cross the road to get between your housing and the farm, you have to make sure that there's not border patrol driving by at that time. And on top of that, they are living in constant anticipation of being caught and sent back. Here's Zuli again, talking about the time she was arrested leaving work at Migrant Justice. I was detained on March 17, 2017, and they detained me and Enrique Balcazar, Kike, another member of Migrant Justice, when we were leaving the office uh, of the organization and, and driving home. And just a few minutes from our house, uh, four agents uh, in three 
undercover cars, um, civilian cars with, with Massachusetts plates cut us off and, uh, and detained us. Uh, it's always hard for me to talk about this process. Um, I was uh, held in detention for 11 days. Uh, and in our case, we were separated. Uh, he was brought to a prison farther north, and, and I was held in a facility here in Chittenden County. But before that, we, we were uh, initially brought to this building that, that isn't normally used for detention. It's uh, in the town of Williston. But after a couple of days in the Chittenden County Correctional, um, I was brought to a detention facility in Stratford in New Hampshire and uh, initially they told me I didn't have the right to uh, a bail. Uh, they told me that they had detained me for having an expired visa and the immigration officer told me no there's nothing that, that could be done uh, and that's what they do. They try to make you afraid um, so that you'll sign your voluntary removal. Despite their hardships, migrant justice has made significant strides including working with local police enforcement to make sure they're not collaborating with ICE agents for ambushes. Another notable success is legislation passed in 2013, which gives the ability for undocumented workers to apply for driver's licenses. Here's Marita Canetto, another community leader for migrant justice, talking about those licenses. So we had one driver's license in Vermont, so regardless of your immigration status, you can get a driver's license and that was an effort of have access to transportation and the freedom of mobility. And all this context is important, but since this is a good news podcast, I wanted to focus more heavily on a current initiative finding tremendous success. They call it the Milk with Dignity program, and it was founded by migrants for migrants. We created um, a program that's called the Milk with Dignity program that follows a model that is called worker social responsibility which means um, the workers define what is needed and what is fair. Migrant Justice conducted many honest and vulnerable worker-to-worker surveys about what struggles they face generally on the farm. From there, the organization drew up a legal agreement for companies to sign onto for the Milk with Dignity program. And after over a year of protests and conversation with Ben & Jerry's, an international but Burlington, Vermont-based ice cream company they agreed to be the first to sign on to the program. Here's Cheryl Pinto, Ben & Jerry's values-led sourcing manager, talking about their approximately 70 partner farms in the state of Vermont. It was phenomenal because we weren't sure how farmers were going to react. Um, it's a challenging time because of the depressed milk prices. Farmers are under a tremendous amount of pressure across the board, whether it's environmental, whether it's social, etc. We'd expected it to take at least a couple of years and have some farms try it out and then maybe think about it and then be a testimonial. But instead, they all decided to um, move forward and adopt the program. The program not only includes standards designed by migrant workers for migrant workers, but also include audits from an outside community standards board to make sure those farms are adhering to the rules. And, according to Pinto, all Ben & Jerry's partner farms passed this year. There's value in the program that's being recognized. We think the farm workers are definitely feeling that um, their voice is being heard. Because now I feel like now we're actually really building the partnership and the relationship between Milk with Dignity and the farmers. And then Ben & Jerry's actually, our role is to actually stand behind the program and not stand between Milk with Dignity and the farmers. It's to allow, again, those partners to really empower each other and to have the dialogue. Part of the agreement is for the company that signs on to pay a premium per hundred weight of fluid milk to the farmers to support changes that need to be made. 
A premium is also paid to farm workers. The money helps subsidize a larger hourly wage. Ben and Jerry's does not release those numbers, but she did call it expensive, meaning that they are dedicating a lot of resources to the program. Migrant Justice's mission is far from over. Other initiatives include a hotline where migrant workers can call the organization directly and speak to people who have similar experiences and can help them, as well as educating workers on their rights. But the good news in all of this is that there are hardworking, dedicated people making our country a better place through grassroots organizing and legislation. So, yeah, we, I mean, we want to expand the Milk with Dignity program so that more people in the community have their rights protected and better conditions in their lives. And then with immigration, we're going to keep fighting until we have a change, not just for some, uh, but for everybody. And, and we know that's going to be a long and hard process, especially with uh, uh, the friend that we have in, in Trump. Uh, but that doesn't mean we're going to give up. We're going to keep fighting. So I am very excited that that story is finally out. I've been working on it for a while. Like I said, I did some travel for that. So we'll just we'll just talk about that really quickly before we move on. So Emily, what did you think about that? Well, I think that consuming less dairy is probably good for health purposes. I can't help but love ice cream and be excited <laughs> about that project to hear that Ben & Jerry's is working towards the common good with dairy farmers. So that's really exciting. Yeah, they're a very ethical company. I went to their headquarters in uh, Burlington, Vermont after talking to migrant justice folks. And they had a pride flag and they had Black Lives Matter flag. They had electric cars, like places where you could plug that in. And inside their headquarters, too, they had like slides and they gave free little things of ice cream for I people that were that. waiting and everyone had their dog. It was a really cool company, but it was really unique to me at least because I tend to be more cynical to see mm -hmm. a company standing behind their founding beliefs, uh, their founding beliefs and ethics that they say that their company is built on. And especially too, when you think about the economics of it, um, it doesn't seem to be a cheap thing in, to pay farmers to adhere to these ethics and rules. I was going to say, I definitely think that it's a point of privilege for certain companies to be so progressive, and it's expensive and a point of privilege for people to uh, purchase sustainable products sometimes, because I understand that they, along with healthier products, are expensive. But it's nice to see a company is both thriving and maintaining a high ethical standard. I love that for Ben and & Jerry's, and if I wasn't already eating too much of their ice cream before, I will be continuing to do that just to support this. Yeah. And to wrap up a little bit about that, obviously the Ben & Jerry's commitment and the corporate commitment is important, but what I think is more important is having these grassroots organizers and people like Zuli and Marita mm -hmm. who are willing to share their stories as immigrants and as migrant, uh, former migrant workers who are now working for a nonprofit um, to continue to advocate for those people who are currently in those positions. And I just want to say thank you to them for sharing their, their time and their story. And yeah, so there's my, my piece. <laughs> I love that. Well done, Abby. Thank you. So Abby's bit of the podcast inspired me to find some good news and positivity regarding immigrants. Um, so I have a short list of immigrants that I've contributed to society in great ways, Ooh, American cool. society particularly. Um, First up, I have Sergey Brin. Have you ever heard of him? No. no? 
Well, it turns out he immigrated from Russia. He attended school at Stanford here in the United States, from which he and his best friend dropped out, and they started da 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 Google. Whoa. Yeah. That's cool. I don't think I ever really knew anything about the business or industry of Google. No, I never really thought about it, but apparently it's a great place to work. Um, mm-hmm. Also, like side note, in my reading too, I learned that at least one of the uh, founders of YouTube was an immigrant, I believe. Oh, seriously? From where? I didn't look too far into it because I wanted to keep this list short. I'm going to um, I'm gonna look it up really fast. Okay. <laughs> Who is the founder of YouTube? I can't pronounce these names, so yeah. 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 <laughs> it's probably likely that they're not from, except one guy who's named Chad. Yeah. Um, he's probably not anything but that's cool yeah who else and for you fashionistas out there you might be able to appreciate the next successful migrant a designer a belgian beauty liz claiborne yeah um i'm not too into the fashion world uh but i still think that that's probably a good sign because i have heard that name before um what did, do you know what she did or what she's famous for i don't actually so know. as far as i know in my passing um, certain boutiques in my shopping endeavors, like handbags and like clothes, essentially. Okay, cool. Cool. And then the final famous and wildly successful immigrant that I want to cover, um, slightly more in depth at least, is Mariana Rivera. Abby, I'm going to throw to you. Do you know who this person is? No. No? <laughs> what a surprise. Yeah, given that this one's probably more known in mainstream uh, sports and to me, not because of my interest in sports, but because of my family that's big into baseball. But yeah, he's from Panama. America's pastime. I guess mm. Panama's pastime. I don't know anything about sports, particularly baseball. I haven't been to a baseball game in probably like 10 plus years. All I go for, like all I, the way my dad, my dad and my brother and my mom are all big into football and we would go to college football a lot. But like my dad would bribe me into going by buying me food so my only memories of baseball are eating peanuts so i don't know who this person is but good for you he was a new york yankee okay um nice. yeah all of these people along with nikola tesla ariana huffington yo-yo ma the successful immigrants from a vast set of backgrounds and i think that's pretty cool to highlight positive immigrants in the current climate yeah absolutely i mean i feel like the word immigrant probably has just like some weird connotation in today's society, which is stupid, I think. But um, yeah. I feel like when you read the news, like all of it's like immigrants, blah, 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 blah. And it's like it's a negative thing, but it's not. I mean, all majority of us are not from here. So it's cool to talk about like what people from other countries, the perspective they bring in um, and when they're successful. It's pretty awesome. So now we're going to go to What's Good on the Street, where we go down Court Street here in Athens, Ohio, and ask your opinion on topics. So we asked you, have you ever traveled outside the United States? Where did you go, and what was your favorite part about it? Hi, my name is Ashish Chetri. Um, I was out of the country 10 years ago. Uh, I went to Nepal. That's where my parents are from. Uh, the thing I really liked about there was the city, and like I got to see a different type of culture. Hi, I'm Dominic Detweiler, and I went to London, England. My favorite part was going to the top of the tallest building in the city and looking out on the beautiful people. Hi, I'm Laura Perrin. I'm a junior, and I studied abroad for a semester in Ireland, in Dublin to be specific. 
and what I liked about it is it's this major world city, but it feels um, it feels like a close knit community, and it was super fun, and I loved it. So we're back, and Emily, I'm really glad that you suggested that for our question for on the street this week because I think it's really important to travel and gain insights about other cultures. For example, you and I are both fortunate enough to have traveled extensively through our scholars program, and like quite literally, that did changed my life. So right. do you want to briefly talk about your experiences? Sure. Um, when I was in high school, I was 16, actually, at this time. Um, and we traveled to Greece, Italy, and Spain for about two weeks in total. And while we weren't anywhere for particularly long, there was a greater amount of exposure than what you would get here in the United States to those cultures. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a very memorable experience, it being my first time like out of out of the country further than, say, Canada. Right. I feel like everyone went to Canada before the passport thing happened. Oh, yeah. Marine Land was my ish as a child. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Because yes. you're from New York. So like it's super easy to get there. Now you got to like in order to go to Niagara Falls, you got to mm-hmm. whip out your passport. That kind of sucks. But um, I do agree with you. I mean, like I had the opportunity to live in Mumbai, India and intern with a nonprofit there which was crazy because it was pretty much my first time leaving the country. Uh, I had gone to Rome for like a week earlier that year um, when I was 18, uh, which was my first time leaving the country ever, besides obviously Canada, which is not really as big of a deal. But um, so it was insane because like my first time leaving the country, I guess, to India, I was 18 and alone and completely across the planet at a place that was so much different and I'm not going to lie, I, I really like thought that I hated it at times because I was so homesick and missed certain parts of American life. Right. And I kept getting food poisoning. But um, I don't think I truly grasped what poverty and privilege looked like and felt like until I was there. Yeah, that I imagine was quite a culture shock, being around people that don't look like you, speak the same language as you, don't even typically eat the same food as you. Yeah. Um, it, it was super interesting because when I was there, like... Um, I went into a village uh, and I was like the first white person. I went to the school and I was the first white person these kids ever saw. And it was like so insane to me because I've never, as you know, a white person, I've never been somewhere where no one around me has looked like me. And I was like super hyper aware of that every, every place that I went, which is kind of, was a weird experience for me because then I started thinking about how a lot of people in the U.S., um, might feel in situations but I was you know I've never felt like that before and obviously it's much much different when you know white people are are glorified in some ways especially white men in those cultures but um and you know women bleach their skin to be lighter and obviously that's the beauty standard so it's slightly different but I mean it was really valuable to get that experience of like being around people who don't look like you yeah, I appreciate your perspective on that as a multiracial woman that goes to school at an institution that is 92% white mm-hmm. on the record. It's weird. Yeah, it's weird and I'm you sure. notice it. So I imagine that when you traveled there, that made a difference. Absolutely. So last summer, I was fortunate enough to travel to Eswatini, which was formerly known as Swaziland. That was the colonized name, Swaziland. So they uh, reverted back. Yeah, that's like a, Mumbai was Bombay forever mm-hmm. until they got their independence again. But yeah, so you were there for um, the same reason, pretty much. You were there for a nonprofit as well. Yep. I worked with Thirst Project, a national nonprofit that provides wells and uh, sanitation in developing countries. And it was 
marvelous. I loved delving into the just the culture and the language and trying to to connect with these people. It was yeah. wonderful. Then on like the flip side, I mean, maybe we're getting too off on a tangent, but I still think it's valuable for us to discuss our own experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I studied language and media in Aix-en-Provence, France for a semester, which felt much closer to home uh, since it is more westernized, but it was so different still. Aix is the second most expensive city to live in in France outside of Paris. So it was a reality check to move there after being in India. No doubt. Yeah. So kind of moving on to our next story, I think it's really important to note that our experiences definitely shaped us and we're uh, glad to have them, but wasn't there something nice about coming home to you? I think so. There's comfort in coming back to the norm, like knowing where you're gonna shower, where you're gonna eat, and you already know the people that you're gonna spend time with, but there's something also really lonely coming home after having that experience that it's so entirely unique to you. Right, like the reverse culture shock that they always talk about. Mm -hmm. So yeah, but it kind of brings me to my next point of like, What about people who are leaving to go to another country, specifically, in this case, America, with literally no intention of ever going, like, quote unquote, home because they're fleeing a terrible situation and they need asylum or maybe they just simply want to pursue an opportunity? Um, I'm obviously talking about immigration here. Of course. And like one of the things that I want to say positive on this podcast is about is that the United States is still one of like the top three places for immigration in the world. Despite our current climate, whatever it is, it's still very accepting of immigrants, at least on an individual level. People are reporting that they're, they feel that immigrants make the United States better. Yeah, so um, it is important to note that we're obviously all immigrants, um, unless your family is Native American, We literally all came from somewhere else, and I would insert a sad little rant about colonialism here, but I will try to refrain. But um, for some reason, I feel like, like kind of what you said, um, with a lot of politics and stuff, we get into all this craziness about like an us versus them thing, simply because we've, for some reason, been here longer and recent immigrants haven't, which is stupid, but don't you kind of get the feeling from like the stuff we read in the news about like, Trump or whatever and I know that we aren't trying to get super political here but like what don't you kind of get that that us versus them feeling typically I'm gonna start with you're also not necessarily an immigrant if you're black in -hmm. a lot of respects like I understand that there are like Caribbean perceptions of black and then if you come to the United States that that's not necessarily the same thing as if you're African-American so I just wanted to throw that in there slide it right in with the Native American thing um but I, that's definitely what I'm getting in this climate. It just kind of boils down to white supremacy and arrogance. Um, it doesn't always necessarily boil that deep, though. I'm just trying to stay positive here. Right, right, absolutely. But that's why this next piece of info is particularly interesting to me. Because um, even though I had thought that a majority of Americans had some sort of like crazy, weird, irrational fear of, of immigrants, you know, I'm really happy that I was wrong. So the New York Times wrote last year in 2018 that a poll done at that time by Gallup, a really massive uh, polling polling agency, found that 75% of Americans, so three out of four, obviously, basic Mm -hmm. math, (laughs) but um, they said that immigration is generally positive for our country. Do you find that surprising at all? I suppose not. Um, So many people have pride in their heritage, and so I often wonder why they're so harsh on other people that are more similar to their ancestors even Mm -hmm. than they might be so that brings me back to it's not really all that surprising 
this podcast exists to lift up the positive voices and perspectives that are getting overshadowed Mm -hmm. and because we just look for them and we know that they're there I think it might be the same thing with like that 75% like they know there's positivity there and it's kind of like this mutual understanding but I'm really glad that the New York Times and Gallup kind of pulled that out like we're doing here yeah and I mean like that still doesn't mean that we aren't still divided by policies surrounding immigration for example the same new york times article in 2018 said that the pew research center which is a really like reputable research center found that immigration was the emerging issue that americans cited as being the top policy concern more so over like healthcare and unemployment and all that stuff now that certainly doesn't surprise me given people's attention to certain policies right now uh it doesn't seem right but it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, and obviously, like, a lot more goes into that, uh, what they mean when they say, when they talk about supporting immigration. So research does show that Americans are more likely to support immigration from primarily white countries, which isn't the greatest because there is obviously some underlying racism there, even if it's not, like, conscious. But it is important to note that a majority of the nation does agree, according to this article, that diversity is important, and not to get all cliche, there's the reason why we're always like, America is the melting pot. So, Yeah, I shall interject that we're more of a salad bowl. Um, yeah, I've heard that one before. Yeah, like we're trying to blend together, and I guess that's where the melting pot is coming because you get people like me. My mom's Native American, um, and my dad is black. So there's like a little bit of melting there, but also people tend to stick to their, their supported groups a little bit more. But in the interest of staying positive, and for the most part, as long as we have all kinds of ingredients here, I dig it. I I agree, and I do like that metaphor um, more than the melting pot, because the melting pot kind of insinuates that we're becoming homogenous within that metaphor of all these cultures coming together and kind of blending to create an American culture. Um, And I don't think that there is anything bad about sharing an American identity, but... I do like the idea that within the salad bowl, quote unquote, Mm. you're kind of getting all these different ingredients that come together to make something great, but they still are separate enough and they can stand on their own. So yeah, yeah, I I think that's great. So we are not going to have a fourth story this week um, because obviously we had this special edition uh, and that story was a little long, but I really enjoyed our conversation this week about immigration and travel. Um, so thanks for that. So we are going to wrap up with what's good in entertainment. So we are going to talk about what we have watched this week, listened to, etc. So Emily, why don't you start? What are you excited about this week? For the last time, I think, I promise, On My Block is back for <laughs> the next season. And it was so good. I finished it. It's a must watch, honestly. What is it about? You've talked about it like three times and I've never once asked you. Initially, it's about these four kids that live in um, East L.A. in what would typically be referred to as like a ghetto situation. It's called Mm -hmm. Free Ridge. And one of the boys gets jumped into a gang by his older brother. And so they're trying to get him out. And then there's there's love and a little bit of violence and drama and so much comedy. And there's some mystery involved, too. And... I just think it's a fun way to kind of understand that community, have them joke about their lives in a respectable way. And also, there are some jokes that like kind of check where we are in millennial culture and mm-hmm. social media. And I think it's just fun to watch. Yeah. Um, 
I kind of want to keep in line with like our little uh, immigrant theme that we've got going on. Um, I saw Us last weekend, which you know me. I don't do horror movies. No. Not at all. But Jordan Peele is an incredibly talented genius of a man. Get Out was obviously super amazing and had, you know, wide critic acclaim. So I saw um, Us and even though I was scared out of my mind, he did a good job of like blending comedy. But uh, Lupita Nyong'o, she uh, is the lead actress in that, and I firmly believe that she deserves an Oscar for that role because she was incredible. But she has been a very outspoken advocate for immigrants and specifically DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, um, those dreamers to keep you know striving. So she herself is an immigrant, um, and she is just such an incredible activist and actress. So uh, I recommend seeing the film because Jordan Peele does a really good job of telling what he calls like black stories that aren't always told. Right. Um, and I also recommend listening to Lup- uh, Lupita's speech from the Oscars. She talked a lot about immigration and I recommend seeing the movie and it is kind of weird if you like go in and like don't think about it but when you when you left me and my friends had like a two hour plus conversation about the deeper meaning in American society um poverty nature versus nurture all that stuff so I recommend seeing it it's worth getting a little scared but like every time I pass my reflection in the mirror I keep like waiting for something weird to happen like I'm waiting for my reflection to do something crazy or like kill me or something um, so that's been really traumatizing for me this week. <laughs> but you're recommending it. But I do recommend it. So also in pop culture, uh, Jonas Brothers have a new song. And yeah, you haven't heard it? No. Oh, I honey. Other than Sucker? Yeah, they actually filmed. I was in Florida um, with my family where I got the flu, of course, because it's me. Um, but I was in Florida and in the Orlando area and they were posting Instagrams in Miami and I was like oh I want to go see them but sadly I didn't but they were filming the music video for it and I listened to that song no joke 12 times in a row and I actually got a text from one of my friends and he was like you good because he like saw the Spotify activity (laughs) and he was like what is wrong with you but I'm like it's just such a summer bop and now that the weather is like officially warm I think and we're looking out the window and we see people hammocking and slacklining and stuff on the college green I think I'm ready for like these summer bops to be making an appearance I'm here for summer bops yeah I'm so excited well, I think that's a good stopping point. So I wanted to thank our listeners for listening to this edition of What's Good and for supporting us with trying some new things and experimenting. Also for bearing with me, because like I said, I had the flu last week and I'm still recovering from my near-death experience. <laughs> and my voice sounds like 10 times lower, but hopefully that didn't scar you in your headphones. So we actually are on Spotify now. That's where a majority of our streamers are coming from now. Uh, We did have to change the name. We slightly rebranded. We're now called What's Good with Abby and Emily. We also, I think I gave the wrong email last time, so I'm going to have the right email this time. (laughs) But you can email us with your good news stories at whatsgoodnewspodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at whatsgood underscore news. And you can like us on Facebook. So... Also, next time, Emily and I have an exciting announcement, so stay tuned for that. Stay tuned. But thank you. See you next time. Have a good week.